Welcome to Charles Dickens' A Brain on Fire, a series that digs deep into the life and works of one of the greatest novelists of all time. Hi everyone. Today's guest is an actress, poet, and playwright. As a writer, she has been commissioned by Sky Arts, The Barbican, and Roundhouse, and was twice selected for the BBC's Words First Poetry Project. And now, as an actress, she has just made her television debut as Biddy in FX's Great Expectations, and is currently touring with the National Theatre's adaptation of Neil Gaiman's The Ocean at the End of the Lane. I'm thrilled to welcome the brilliant Laurie Ogden. Laurie, welcome to Charles Dickens' A Brain on Fire. It's so great to have you here. Oh, it's lovely to be here. So, you're playing Biddy in the FX Great Expectations. Mm-hmm. What I would love to know, first of all, then, is when the breakdown came through from your agent, what did it say? Oh, I think it said something like, sweet, kind-hearted girl, um... And Pip's childhood best friend, something like that. Quite a short breakdown. Um, but I, I'd previously read the book, so I already had an idea of of who she was and, and what she's about. Yeah, it's interesting because I think in, in this in this series, obviously Stephen Knight makes a lot of changes with the characters and where they go in terms of mm-hmm. their plot. And But Biddy feels 100% the person, to me anyway, that Dickens wrote in the book. Did you make any reference back to the book yourself when you were preparing to play her or was it all in the script itself? No, I'd actually, because I'd read it, um, I'd read it many years ago and then I'd revisited it a couple of years before this. Um, But I think that although her core is still the same, there are some kind of key changes, I think, in this adaptation. And I think um, well, cause all all writing's collaboration, right? Like sometimes it's an incredibly solo project at the beginning, but then yeah. you're collaborating with the reader and their imagination. And with screenplays, we're like collaborating with the actors and the directors, and then eventually the viewers. Um, so I kind of wanted to make sure I was responding to uh, Stephen's version of Biddy as much as the original Biddy. So we're all kind of in a wider collaboration with each other if that makes sense yeah so you go into the audition then how how what was the process of that you can you can don't have to spare any details this is fascinating stuff you went in for your casting yeah. where, where was it who did you meet um so it just started started with a self-tape that gives hope to many actors out there that have oh. all time with self-tapes because how do you feel about that because they're so difficult aren't they you have the anxiety that are they actually going to watch this damn thing that i've taken, yeah, taken over my entire day to, to make <laughs> Well, I think you've got to be strict with yourself with self-tapes, haven't you? Not take your entire day. Um, you've got to give yourself like three to five takes max and send it off because you never know what's going to happen the other end. Um, yeah. I know it started with a self-tape. Uh, it was actually one of the sides was um, one of the scenes where she speaks French, but it hadn't been translated yet. So I panic messaged a friend of mine who speaks French to get him to help me. Oh, um, so so you don't speak French yourself very strongly? No, I don't. I had a wonderful uh, coach as part of this. And I also had a friend of mine who helped me in prep for the audition. So I was very lucky. No, I, I unfortunately do not speak French. I'm not as intelligent as Biddy. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 because that, that whole French <laughs> section is is a fantastic part. Oh. In the second episode, it's so touching, isn't it? And powerful and and all the subtext that's being played with the two, with you and Pip, you know, doing that. Wow. So, yeah. so you, had to, you had to speak French for your self-tape then? 
Yes, exactly. Yes, we're for that for that section. Um, and actually, my recalls were all over Zoom. So I didn't actually come in the room until I came in for my fittings, um, which I know isn't, isn't the case for everyone. But I think we're still in an unusual post-COVID um, process, aren't we, really? Hmm. Um, yeah, so I felt very lucky. It was quite a, fa- a fairly swift process. Um, but I think I just fell in love with the character and, and so that's that's how we got here. And when you then get the script, did you, because obviously you had the recalls over, over Zoom then, was there a company read-through? where you all got to assemble and meet each other and go through the whole episodes? Yeah, so there was a company read-through um, of, I think, well, maybe it was the first or second episode, because um, the others were still being um, developed. But right. um, but I, I hadn't been cast yet. I was still in the casting process, so so I actually missed the read-through. So, um, But I did get to have a rehearsal uh, where I briefly met Bronte, who plays Little Biddy, and Shalom and Finn. And so... I felt, you know, comfortable with all of them before I got on set, which was lovely. That's lovely. And yeah, and Bronte obviously plays the the younger Biddy. Yes. And she's excellent, isn't she? Bronte Carmichael. Did you talk about the character together or did you just talk about anything else about the character? How, yeah. how did you... We just we just had a chat, got to know each other. We talked a bit about the character, how we felt she moved and sounded. And um, and me and her mum swapped numbers and we'd <laughs> message each other little thoughts and see how, you know, filming days were going and things. Um yeah, she's lovely. She's a very special actress. That's so interesting that you say that, that you had that contact because when you do change, when she does change to you, it's pretty seamless, isn't it? You don't, uh, it takes a well, while. When, you know, when Finn walks in, I think, into the, probably outside into the playground, I think, is that the moment we first see you as Biddy? Yes. Yeah, and it's so seamless. And you think, oh my God, no, that's you, that's you. It's, it, she's changed because it's not so sudden. It's not so obvious. Um, yeah, I thought you it was really to- clever. You actually see me, I've just thought, you actually see me briefly, I think, just before in the church turning around. Yes, that's you, in the episode, you see Bronte do exactly the same movement. Um, but it's so quick, so I don't know whether everyone would pick up on that. But And I think part of that's, you know, in the in the hair and the costuming as well. It's such an incredible team working on this to make that um, uh, hopefully be seamless. Yeah. Dickens is accused sometimes, certainly, of, of writing impossibly good women. <laughs> and um but I so I feel that Biddy I totally believe she exists and she's real and I don't see that she's too much of an angel. Um I think I can see how reading the novel, because you know, we're coming from Pip's perspective as well, mm. uh, how how she can seem like too much of an angel, you know, one of his um what do they call them, Dickens saints, saintly women. Yeah. Um, I don't think she is for me. I think, you know, she is driven by her own wants. She is helping Pip, but he he is her best friend and she is in love with him. So it's not a completely selfless act. And I think what I found interesting was filming with Shalom for episode four, the quiet rage that I felt (laughs) Mm. Uh, whilst in character, obviously working with Shalom, she's wonderful. But I think that, you know, she's she's not just this perfect saintly person who wants... Um, who doesn't have her own wants and needs and her own judgments of people like Estella. You know, she she judges Pip for being a snob and for wanting that stuff. But I do think she also has her own, like, strongly held views about people like Estella. And um, and I think that Salon brings such a depth to Estella that it just makes it not clear-cut that you could just hate Seller and be done with it if that makes sense yeah absolutely and actually that that scene in the schoolroom which obviously doesn't happen in the book in episode four 
where Shalom as Estella comes in and you have this kind of strange meeting in the schoolroom and you can't work out what Estella's doing. She says, I don't care about Pip, but you should know that he's in trouble. Yeah. It's so weird, isn't she? Because she says, I don't love, I don't care. And yet her actions, her behaviour seems to do things that contradict that. Mm-hmm. I feel like for me, there's a moment where in that scene, you know, when when Biddy could absolutely go off on her. Um, but I think that she, Estella, in Shalom's interpretation of her, lets this little crack through of vulnerability that I, I think Biddy picks up on. And then it's like you're saying, the shutters come straight back down. She's like, you think I care, you know? And um, the ice queen kind of returns before she leaves. So you think there's going to be some kind of progress or something between them. And then it's, Estella cuts it, cuts it right down. Yes. That thing you're saying also about Biddy being driven by her own wants. And I think that's actually in the book as well. I just don't think Dickens really, or Pip doesn't really say that about her. I think that's definitely there because she goes, there's this bit, there's this fantastic bit about, (laughs) <laughs> typical pip the best step i could take towards making myself uncommon was to get out of biddy everything she knew <laughs> and then it's like biddy was the most obliging of girls she immediately said she would and began to carry out her promise within five minutes so you think yeah Biddy <laughs> is clearly driven by, by something there um but i can't help noticing in what i've seen in, oh i've seen all the episodes now have you seen all the episodes i have i have yeah it's amazing um and I'm, 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 so, I'm so annoyed in one sense that we can't talk about episodes. No, I know that was it's me just, just was just there and I was like, oh. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. But there is one thing that there is a recurring theme that I've noticed and it happened with Bronte and it's happened with you is that so often when Biddy appears, she seems to be appearing in sunlight. Oh, yeah. Uh, even when you're talking to Finn outside of the schoolyard, you say goodbye and then you, <laughs> you walk off and then this big sunlight shaft kind of falls <laughs> on you. So there is still something impossibly good. I mean, that's the character, I feel like, in quite, and it's quite a hard-hitting adaptation, isn't it? But I feel mm. like with Biddy, she's always bringing goodness. You have a sense that there's goodness about her and that yeah. she bring light into Pip's life and the lives of people around her. Yeah, I, I think you need that light as well. I think... Um... If some of the moral of the story is like um, kindness and patience versus like self-interest or, um, you know, whether Pitt would be happier with this kind of life rather than trying to be a gentleman. I, I think it's really important to me that, you know, Biddy is, she is like sunlight, but she's also like, it, it's not just, I see her described a lot as a simple kind-hearted girl and to me she's not like you're saying, like he gets all this information from her. I think there's a quote somewhere in the book that's like whatever he knew or whatever Pip knew, Biddy knew, like she's as intelligent as, as he is. And I think um, when we're talking about like the themes around social class and things like that in the book, I think he could be, for me, and I'm obviously biased, he could be as happy with Biddy. She doesn't have the airs and the graces, but like she's she's intelligent and she's warm and she's kind and um, the kind of person I think we should all kind of strive to be. But obviously I'm biased because I'm playing it. So <laughs> I, I, You completely persuaded me i agree with that 100 <laughs> percent. but it's interesting that you said that yeah he could be happy with biddy it's all it's all in there it's all in there in the in the screenplay but it's all there in the book when pip is describing biddy in the book he says she was common and could not be like estella but she was pleasant and wholesome and sweet-tempered she had curiously thoughtful and attentive eyes eyes that were very pretty and very good so you think Oh, okay, mm. so, you, so in that one bit, he's going about, well, she's, yeah, she's not like Stella. She's not dazzling. But, oh, no, her eyes are actually very pretty. Actually. And then you see in the goodness again. So it's, it's feel, all in there. I feel like it's that thing, like me and um, one of the directors, Brady Hood, talked about how we both used to, you know, re- relate to Pip in some way in us both, like not being from London, being from the North, kind of seeing this um, 
way of speaking, this way of living and this kind of dreaming of like you having to get out to be something better. And I think, you know, for me, part of Pip's infatuation with Estella is, you know, where he could be and what he could be and not being happy with who he already is. And if he was to choose Biddy, he'd have to also be happy with his own lot and who he is and where he's from and what he's made of. Um, And obviously he's not. That's why he dreams of kind of being a gentleman, escaping, having this better life. And that that would have to be Estella. That couldn't be Biddy. Yes, absolutely. And of course, we're still a very London centred country, aren't we? Yes. In terms of getting on in your career and your life. I mean, how do you find that? Because you're working with the National Theatre at the moment, aren't you? And you're yes. doing one of their tours, you know, and, and it's still the sort of the tower to, to to scale, isn't it? I think in some ways that Citadel. Yeah, I think people are a lot more interested now, you know, in regional voices. Um, mm-hmm. But um, I think it's still an ongoing battle. I think also when, you, when you're growing up, you're told, you know, if you don't sound, if you're not from a certain place or if you don't sound a certain way or look a certain way, you won't, you won't succeed. And I, I think that's less and less true. Um but I think it is still a thing that people um uh, and in the eye you know like brush up against and um but you know you get good at accents and then you just and then you just play all the southern characters anyway. Yeah, and the southerners go, "What just happened?" I thought I'm actually a southerner. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that, that's been going on for years because in the sixties you had all these northern actors playing posh parts, didn't you? Oh, yeah, and all the yeah. sort of posh people were going, "Hang on a minute!" You'd have you know Tom Courtney in there. How dare you? And even people like Ian McKellen, you know, and Patrick Stewart, they kind of they, they do their sort of you know. <laughs> Yeah, I th- I think they're sounding more northern these days. I, mean, I think they're sounding more northern. <laughs> I think they're revealing their true selves, you know. They are now, the true se- yeah. Now it's too. <laughs> but, but you decided, I mean, obviously then for, for Biddy, you went for a southern accent. I mean, she's actually quite, she's actually quite RP, isn't she? Yeah, I think mine's slightly like less so. I think um, I did a much stronger, stronger accent when um, I'm casting for it. But it was just trying to find the balance, I think, between you know, where, where Finn's at in his voice and how, how they, like, um, his pip and how they kind of sound similar. And, yeah, that was, like, an interesting thing to kind of figure out. Um, and hopefully she doesn't, you know, surprise sound northern anywhere. Don't tell me if she does. <laughs> no, she doesn't. She doesn't at all. And, and, the, and the French speaking was excellent. You know, just even, I thought that was so good. It's But it's so satisfying from an acting point of view, isn't it, to really master something. Like, I have got this for this scene. So, so being on set then, how did you feel? Because... Is this one of the first? So I've done a bit of screen work before, but this is the first TV job that I've done. And um, I'm just incredibly lucky. I think my first filming days were with Finn. Our work is just the two of us. And he's just such a welcoming, giving actor. And luckily we were able to just make each other laugh a lot before we got on set, which made it just a lot easier to find that like that friendship that they have. And similarly with, with Shalom, she was just very like the complete opposite to Estella you know she's like warm and giving um and having real friendships with the two of them made that a lot easier and and neither of them made me feel you know I have a lot less experience than they both do and and they never made me feel that for a second when you sent the self-tape were you thinking nah, or were you thinking I really want to get this where were you in that whole process of thinking I so want to play this part but I don't think I'm going to get it all right what were your thoughts um I think that the what I've kind of realised is like you have to just let go the minute you've sent it off. Mm. So I don't really get too excited. I try. It's harder, isn't it, when you're in recalls and stuff because you start to be like, "Oh, maybe." But um, no, I try not to get too excited until um, there's actually an offer like being made. 
because even then things can change. And I think, you know, your job is just to like, you still got to play that character for a moment, even if it's just a taper and audition and to just kind of enjoy that for what that is. And you got to engage anyway. And then, you know, then it's just a, a whole extra cherry on the cake if you actually get to play the character in full. So when you first arrived on set, then what were the what were the first bits that you did with Finn? Can you remember? Can you remember the feeling? You know, you get you go you go. What did you do on the first day? Were you picked up on a chauffeur? Did you get the tube? Or <laughs> well, the, the first day um, was actually. Do you remember the really bad storm last year? So I kind of got a trial run, which was probably very good for my confidence. In that, like, we turned up, um, you know, at five in the morning. We get into hair and makeup, and then the day got cancelled because the storm was so bad. Um, so that was quite good because I was so nervous that day. It felt like I just sort of had a practice of coming along and getting ready and then and then going straight back home again um, because of the storm. So I can't remember what my first scene was. I think it might be one that's not actually in the um, in the final edit, but it, it would be one of the ones where she's teaching him, um, teaching him something. So, yeah, we came back and did that again, I think probably about a week later or something when the weather was a bit better. Was it very different to sort of the stage work in terms of being comfortable in your own skin? I think I feel very comfortable on screen in that, um, because there isn't that threat with screen of like, you know, if something goes wrong, it's a bit embarrassing and I kind of can apologise for it. Whereas on stage, we've just got to, if I drop a line or something, we've got to figure our way around it. Hmm. In some ways it's a lot, I think stage is a lot harder, but um, they've both got their their, their tricky tricky bit. Absolutely. My feeling about stage, though, is, of course, that so much more responsibility rests on the actors. And yes, actually, yes. I find that empowering. I feel like I'm in the driving yeah. seat, whereas if you're not called, you don't call action. You know, there's so many extra things that are out mm-hmm. of your control. Obviously, there's a certain pace at which you have to work on set. But I feel like everyone was very patient, like we had a, a great team across all departments. Um, you know, when you have a lovely first AD, you know, everyone kind of just comes together and um, it, it makes it feel uh, safer in a way that, you know, when you're shoved on stage and there's an audience there, you've just got to keep going. So yeah. but maybe I'm saying that just because I'm doing a theatre job at the moment. So maybe I'm feeling the fear in what yeah, I'm currently oh, well. doing. <laughs> You've got a long tour ahead, though, haven't you? You'll, you'll definitely, if you feel the fear, you'll be over it by the end, I think. <laughs> yeah. But um, so when you were on set, were there any fluffs that were hilarious that you can tell us that we'll never see? Um, I can't really think of anything in particular that stands out. I know when me and Finn were, were dancing, um, there was a lot of us like getting stuck in the mud. Um, I think we did some wider shots. I don't know if they're actually in the series. They might be in a couple of the traders or something, but I, where I nearly went flying like multiple times um, and had to kind of like, grab onto Finn and try and get my balance. Because dancing around in like in lots of wet mud whilst also wearing multiple layers and a very long dress is quite, it's quite a tricky thing to do. And I don't have the best balance anyway. So. <laughs> and did you, did you get to rehearse the scenes much before you had to shoot them? Did you rehearse them on location or did you have a separate meet? Um, we did, we did a tiny, I think we did a tiny bit beforehand, but mostly it was, it was just on, um, on location, you know, just before we did it, we did have some rehearsals for the dancing, um, which was fun. Yeah, so just a little just a little bit of time, but in some ways that kind of keeps it you can't overthink too much, I think. You have to kind of follow your instincts and then um just trust the direction that you're getting and just like lean into that. Yes. Well, I've got I've got something to show you now. Oh I, yeah. Um, I managed to pick up a copy of this. <laughs> uh, 
So could you tell us what this is? I've, it's only just arrived. So I'm going to be completely honest and straight with you here. Say I've not read it. I've not opened it yet. But well, what... I'm keeping it with you. How could you not? Exactly. <laughs> I'll come back in half an hour. Sorry. Let me give me, give me a second. Um, but, so this I'm holding. I'm holding up a copy of your poems, your collection of poems called Humaning. You're also then a writer. Can you tell us a bit about this? Because I will put a link in the description to this. Oh, well, that'd be lovely. Um, well, yes, yeah, so I'm a, I'm a poet and a playwright, um, uh, but really it started with poetry and sort of partly through the spoken word scene, but a lot of page poetry as well. And so that pamphlet was published in, um, I think, November, I'm going to say 2021 by, um, by Flip Tie. Um, I had an incredible editor called Jacob Sandler Rose. Um, so yeah, it's just a collection of poems kind of about, well, identity and womanhood and finding yourself in, um, I guess, some of the themes that that come up in Great Expectations, but maybe more specifically through like a, a female lens and a, and a northern lens. Um, yeah, you'll have to send me an email and let me know what you think. <laughs> I will do. I will do. Oh, no, I'm really looking forward to reading it. So, oh, Laurie, this has been fantastic. I've oh, so been enjoyed meeting you. <laughs> Sort of meeting you across the, <laughs> yeah, across really the Atlantic. Really. Yeah. I hope the rest of the, the tour goes really well for you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Okay, everyone, before I go, you'll be pleased to know that I've now read Laurie's poetry collection, Humaning, and it's excellent. The colour red is very striking in the form of lipstick or blood or skin, its frailty in a hot climate or its power seen through the life of Maud Wagner. There's also a response to Terence Hayes' nuclear, and in line with the human condition, there's humour, with moments of clumsiness and awkwardness laid bare, plus alternate realities discovered when playing Sims with your partner. If you want to know more, you can follow the link in the description to purchase a copy. See you next time. Thank you for listening to Charles Dickens' A Brain on Fire. If you're enjoying these episodes and would like to make a small donation towards the costs of producing them, please follow the link at the bottom of the description and you can make a donation there. Every coffee you buy makes a huge difference. Thank you ever so much and see you next time.